Panama City, Florida. Um, so I spent much of my life in and on the water. I also spent much of my life sunburned as a result. Uh, it's tough being a fair-skinned kid growing up in Florida. But when I was in middle school, uh, I saved all of my lawn mowing money to purchase a prized possession, a bright yellow mini fish sailboat like this one here. Um, there's a really small sailboat called a sunfish that you may, if you've ever been to summer camp, you may have sailed in sailing class. A mini fish is smaller than that by about three feet. And so uh, it, I literally would take it to the water um, by putting it in the back of my hatchback, if that gives you an idea of how small the sailboat was. It was like a kayak with a sail on it, basically. But I sailed that thing like I was Moana. You have no idea how far I would go out there. It was a calm day, blustery day, big seas, glassy seas. I was out there charting the bay and living on coconuts out there on the water and pushing the limits. Because there's this, there's this um, weather warning on the coast called a small craft advisory, which means that the conditions are dangerous for small boats. But I used to say that it just meant that they advised you to use small craft. And that was, <laughs> it was sort of, so needless to say, I have experienced my share of capsizes and shipwrecks out there. Shipwrecks happen, don't they? They can be gradual or they can, they can come upon you suddenly, but they are never unexpected. You'll be out there enjoying a beautiful day, the sun on your skin, the spray in the air, you're moving fast and free, and then in a moment, it happens and everything changes. The wind shifts, a wave hits, a boat cuts in front of you, or you make a mistake, and everything that seems stable and forward moving is thrown into the air and underwater with a sudden power that leaves you unsure of what just happened, which way is up, and whether you will find your way to the surface again. And everything you were carrying and everything you were relying on, all your sunscreen is scattered to the waves, under the waves, and you are too. Shipwrecks happen. And many of you know better than me that this shipwreck idea is more than a metaphor and more than literal shipwrecks, that there are storms in life that throw you, that toss you, that redirect you and destabilize you. There are shipwrecks of relationships, Shipwrecks of, of health, of, of mental health, of job, of finances, of identity, of trauma, of grief. And so I want to say, as we begin this series, that for many of you in this room, I, I know little glimpses of some of your stories, and I know that stuff has truly gone down along the way, real stuff that is serious and difficult and hard, and that breaks our hearts and that grieves the heart of our God. And so today, it will not be about sanitizing that real stuff or minimizing that real stuff. And I would never presume to tell you what or how to live this life in the midst of that experience. But our hope is that in the midst of this, that maybe by the grace of God, that we might find some help, <laughs> that this might be helpful for us. Because what we're talking about in shipwrecks is no small thing. But I will tell you this, and many of you can bear witness to this too, that I think it is possible in the midst of the shipwrecks of this life to lose your ship and not lose your soul and not lose your faith and not lose yourself. Although you may be changed, you 
may lose your ship, but you don't have to lose yourself. Because I know this, that even in the midst of this life, even though it can be hard to see sometimes and in the aftermath, it can be hard to trust in this, that our God is a God who is near the brokenhearted, with the vulnerable and the voiceless, fiercely protective of the hurting and the harm, with us in the winds and the waves at work for love. And our God is good. Our God is a restorer and a reconciler, a renewer who's able to roll away the stones that it seems like could never be rolled away and that new life can grow again where we would never expect it. Our God is a God who does that over and over. And so if you're in the storm right now, if you're in the wreckage of the aftermath, know that God is right there with you never against you or set above you, but always right there with you and for you in hope and in compassion and solidarity. And so we pray, are we in this time? Because losing a ship is no small thing, but it is possible to lose your ship and not lose yourself because you will never lose God's love on this journey. And sometimes, sometimes, In this mysterious way, it is in the depths of those ocean experiences that we realize just how deep God's love is for us. And when we glimpse that, it changes everything. That's the witness of so many who gather in this particular faith community, (laughs) even as we stumble along our journeys and our sailing voyages. It's the witness of this community. It's the witness of the historic faith community that's gathered in the library of Scripture that we open. Uh, The scripture part is very important because they were very experienced with this. Back in ancient times, I'm pretty sure every boat shipwrecked at some point along its journey. Um, Also, the ancient Egyptians had sunscreen that they'd invented, and so we can learn some stuff. I might have even survived a little bit back then in those days. So we could turn a lot of places in our scripture library for wisdom on this, but today I want to turn to a poem that's collected in Psalm 139. The Psalms were were the song and prayer books of the Hebrew people and then the early followers of Jesus. And so this poem that we're going to read is one that the community sang out together. And I think they probably even sang it alone on their journey as well, as they walked in times of difficult journey and wrestled with their own shipwrecks and questions of God when they asked in the midst of their storms, just as we do, where is God This was a song that they sang out in response. As they asked, where is God? They said, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. God is with us every step of the way. That word Sheol is the Hebrew word for the underworld, for hell in their conception, which makes a very interesting point of theology that we'll save for another time, another question. But the point that the poet is making is that in every place, high and low, good and bad, even the most difficult places that you can imagine where it seems most removed from God, you are not removed from the love of God. Every step of your journey and every side road in between, God is with you, seeking you. God is loving you. And so the poet goes on and says, If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me fast. 
And in ancient Near Eastern cultures, the sea was a symbol in their storytelling of chaos and uncertainty and danger. And so the poet is saying that even there, at the farthest limits of chaos and uncertainty and danger, that God is holding on to us. And so he continues, If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light around me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. I come to the end. I am still with you. In the dark of the night, you are seen. You are known. You are loved. From your first step through the end and beyond, God is with you in steadfast, deep love. And so along the way, in the midst of storm and shipwreck, when we glimpse even just a fraction of that deep truth, of that deep, relentless love of God, when we are wrecked and overboard, when the direction that we are traveling is upended and floating above us is everything that we were carrying with us, when we, even there as we sink deep in that rolling sea, realize that God is there with us too, that love is there with us too, that if we make our bed in Sheol, that God is with you even there. It changes everything. It doesn't fix everything overnight magically, but it changes everything because you've been to the depths and you've found that God's love for you is deeper still. You and I know people who've glimpsed a little bit of that deep truth. They seem like such incredibly strong people. And you hear their story, their shipwreck story, and you say, wow, I had no idea. That seems like something that could have wrecked you, but you don't seem that wrecked. You don't seem broken, and that seems like something that might break a person. And then they tell you about their journey of being broken, but God putting the pieces back together, the story of shipwreck and aftermath and of God's work through it and beyond it. They tell you the story of the mystery that we have heard attested over and over that though they would never in a million years recommend capsizing to anyone else on the other side of that storm, rather than losing their soul and themselves, through the work of God, they found something new in themselves. A deep, strong, integrated, resilient, perspective-filled, priority-set life. On the other side of what seems like it might tear us to pieces, they're powerfully at peace, even in turbulent waters, with a capacity to love amidst the wind and the waves of doubt, to live without fear. Because they have peace to trust that God puts the pieces back, even changing us in the process, but God can and does make a way forward. And that every step of the way, God's love is with us. And so when you hear their story, all of a sudden the depth of their life and the steadfastness of the love that they live with makes sense. Because I think there's aspects of God that we can only see from the underside sometimes. And there's a depth of love that we can only come to know when we've been through the depths. Because if God is with us even in Sheol, then why would we fear anywhere? 
when we're never apart from God's love. Okay. So if God is with us in the shipwrecks, then like, where do we look for God in the midst of those things? That's a really good question. You know, the, the, the uh, series this time is called How to Survive a Shipwreck. And so how do we do that? Where do we find God? Like, first thing when you're trying to survive a shipwreck, find something that floats and grab it. That's job number one. Job number two is find God in the midst of that. But do it in that order, too. <laughs> find something that floats. God might just be offering that to you there, too, and then find God. So where do we look? Where do we look for this? So we're going to talk about this over the next three weeks. Um, and so we're not going to cover all of it and all the aspects of this, t- this today. But to start us off this week, I want to offer a few just basic practical ideas, and we'll do more with this later. And so to figure out where to look this week, I want to go to the very beginning in our library of Scripture, to the very first creation story and myth in Genesis chapter 1. As I mentioned, in the ancient Near East culture, the sea was a a storytelling symbol of chaos and danger. And so naturally, the story of creation begins right there in the midst of it all. And so here's how it starts. In the beginning, you may have heard this before, in the beginning, When God was creating the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void, a tohu wabohu is the Hebrew, a chaotic, formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, of the seas. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The tohu wabohu means that everything was chaos. It was all darkness and deep and shipwreck. But the Spirit of God, the ruach, the breath or the wind of God, she was hovering there. And slowly, out of the chaos, she begins to bring forth life. And it happens in simple ways at first. At first, the story says just creating day and night, sleeping and waking bringing order to this. And then life begins to emerge. It's just microorganisms that can barely crawl, but the wind keeps blowing, and more and more diverse and verdant life emerges until in all the places that the Spirit blows across the chaos, life begins to emerge and fill that space again. And every moment, the Spirit is there hovering with us, doing what God does, creating bringing life, bringing meeting, bringing order, even when all seems void. And tohu wabohu. <laughs> I think we need to just add that to our vocabulary. Um, so when somebody asks you this week, you know, how's the semester going so far? You're like, tohu wabohu. It is formless, void, and chaos. That's what it feels like so far. So where is God in the midst of that? I think that pattern shows up in our lives And we find that spirit hovering and blowing and stirring life. I think one of the first ways in the midst of of shipwreck is we find in in this order of day and night, of rest and sleep, and the order-making amidst the chaos that it offers to us. And so the first place that I just want to invite you in the midst of a shipwreck to look and open yourself up to God is to look for God in sleep. (laughs) And high schoolers are like, yes! can I get this in writing, pastor, to take home to my parents? And young parents are just thinking, is that what what they're teaching the kids in Sunday school? Because that would be awesome if you teach them that. But anyone who has been through a shipwreck can tell you sleep, like restful, restorative sleep, is hard to come by. 
Even when we're sleeping in large doses, that restful sleep is hard. Before the shipwrecks, we didn't think too much about sleeping, but in the midst of it, sleep can feel invaded. And the reasons not to close your eyes can feel infinite. But what we need in the midst of this is both our spirit and our soul and our psyche and our bodies need sleep and rest, but we also need to learn the life-giving lesson that sleep brings to us. And I know this is kind of a weird place to go with this, but I think this can be helpful in the midst of things. Because sleep is, in some ways, a sacrament, like a, a, a sign and a connection with something bigger, a reminder that what heals us in the end will not be our own effort in the midst of things, our waking effort alone that heals us, that grows us, that saves us. It will be us amidst the grace and work of God, something beyond us and with us that lifts us from the waters. And so sleep, in some ways, is learning to trust that. In its own way, it's an act of trust. With or without our cooperation, when we sleep, God is at work to heal and restore what has been lost in that battle with the sea. We take leave of the world that we know and can control and offer ourselves up to be held by a God in that sleep time who is with us even there at work, even when we can't be. So the theologian uh, Frederick Bigner says, Sleep is grace. The night absolves. Darkness wipes the slate clean. Not spotless to be sure, but clean enough for another day's chalking. And so among the Ten Commandments is one of these that God gives us to remember the Sabbath, to sleep, to rest, to let God in by the small and necessary act of letting go. And so if you can sleep now, even for just a little while, you just might wake up with a new set of glasses on the nightstand through which you can see the wind and the world and the storm outside in an entirely different way and wake up to a world where the presence of God is a little more visible. Sleeping is a way of saying, God, this is bigger than me. I'm trusting myself to you. And so teenagers, when you sleep in till 12 um, this next Saturday, just tell your parents that you were letting God work a little bit extra in your life. Okay, so the second place, I think, that a uh, second place we can look for and begin to sense that God is with us are to look for those places of life. Any of those places where we begin to find life and life again. So in Genesis 1, it says that the, the Spirit hovered over the chaos and began to bring forth life that just kind of crawled and creeped at first, but it was life. And that's the way that life begins to emerge from the shipwreck as well. Over and over again, in those places where it seems like life could never emerge again, the God story says that God is at work bringing something new. It's the resurrection story at the heart of our faith. And so part of finding God in the midst of this is looking for those places where God is bringing forth life and creativity and beauty and hope in the midst of our shipwrecks. And so pay attention to those places where the flame is still flickering in you where the Spirit is gently stirring the water and rustling the leaves around you. Because when the immediacy of, of grief or guilt or loss begins to recede into the night, your soul still flickers and dreams. 
There's still an ache, not just for what was lost, but there's an ache for all that you still are to know and to see and to be seen and to be known, to explore and to imagine and create. However much the longing for the past and the ship's journey that you were on might assault your senses, it's not the only longing that remains. There's still a part of you that longs to create, to connect, to be alive. So the pastor, Jonathan Martin, who wrote this beautiful memoir that inspired this series, he says this. He says, somewhere between your body's animal refusal to go down quietly and your mind's refusal to stop imagining and your heart's refusal to stop dreaming, in the tangled mess of synapses and memories and impulses, there lies God. And whatever remains in you that wants to create, to make, to birth something new, in whatever corner that longs for some kind of resurrection on the other side of death, something divine quietly snaps and fires and clicks and flickers. This is the Spirit of God lurking in your own broken spirit. You may find that your grief and sense of loss over the world you once knew seem endless. And yet there are possibilities and potentialities within you that are more endless still. What is this unseen force that carries you forward despite yourself? This ache is God's footprint. God's fingerprint, not footprint. That would be, uh, that'd be bad. God's fingerprint on you. That stirring to create, to love, to live, to give of yourself when it seems like you have no self left to give, that comes from the image of God, the fingerprints of God on your life, kindled to life by the breath of the Spirit that still is breathing and hovering with you in this life. You are created in the image of God. And so that means that you have everything necessary to live in the midst of that divine love, and you still do, no matter what it seems like the shipwreck has stripped away. However deep that image of God feels buried within you, the part of you that knows what it is to be perfectly loved and held and known is very much there, alive, still. Sometimes we need the breath of God to remind us of that. Sometimes we need the help of friends. Sometimes we need wise counselor, counselors. But that breath and that image is there very much alive within you. And to hold to those places where you can feel that image and life stirring, creativity, music, community, vocation, work, a food you enjoy, fortnight with friends, whatever it takes, trust that in those places where life flickers that the Spirit is hovering and will fan that life from an ember into a flame because that's what God does. And so I read that passage from Jonathan Martin, which was very poetic, and the whole book is. But he gets real with some real practical spiritual advice I just want to share with you, too. This is about um, what we eat. He says, maybe you shouldn't have cheesecake every night forever. But, <laughs> but if you look forward to it, to be fully present to it and grateful for it, let the cheesecake tether you again to what is good about the earth. Let the cheesecake make you believe in God again. And the idea that there must still be something good left on earth because of how good this is tasting right now. Eat the cheesecake tonight and an apple in the morning and start over. Boom. Sleep 
and cheesecake. It's been an awesome message this week. <laughs> go in grace. Go in peace. So as we wrap up uh, um, today, we're going we're gonna to do more with this over the next few weeks. But I want to offer you one place amidst those flickers of life and of joy that we can find even amidst the shipwrecks. I want to offer you one place not to look for God amidst the shipwreck. And that is in the cause of the shipwreck, the reasons for the shipwreck. And when I say this, those of you who've, who've been through it know what I'm talking about. Sometimes amidst the wreckage of suffering, we can hear some bad theology <laughs> in it. Some well-intending folks who talk to us about plans and reasons and purposes and God's will that can be really hurtful and destructive in this. Because when God shows up, that's not who God is. The God revealed in Jesus is so different from that. Instead of bringing some message of that there's a script to our suffering and some cosmic plan, what Jesus brought to us was solidarity with us. That Jesus came and walked with us amidst this life and suffered in a way that was redemptive and restorative to break free and to bring us life. Jesus shows us that suffering is not a tool that's used by God to teach us something, but suffering is a wrong that God bears with us. And sometimes God can help us see new things through this particular journey, but it is not something that God wields, not some tool that God uses. Instead, it is what Jesus took on took to the grave, overcame, and is overcoming. If there is a plan in it, it is that overcoming of suffering that is God's plan. And it's in the midst of that work of overcoming, of transforming, of resurrection, in the midst of hurt and shipwreck and suffering that we find God. And so please, don't ever let anyone tell you differently, however well-intentioned they are, don't let anyone tell you that the God who cherishes you and wipes away your tears has somehow been the author of those tears. Don't let anybody tell you that God has allied for greater good with suffering and injustice and death when that is the very thing that Jesus came to overthrow. Because God is love. And love bears all things and hopes all things and endures all things. And love is with us in the depths and love we believe and we have seen never fails. Love wins. And so at the end of history, it's not going to be a story of God uniting many strands of suffering into one great synthesis or tapestry. But instead, I think that God's going to judge much of history false and wrong. Injustice and racism and oppression and equality, conflict and cruelty are wrong and false. They're not tools for a greater purpose. Ending them is the purpose for which Jesus gave his life and the purpose for which God and the Spirit is at work. They are things we will be liberated from, not by. And so know this in the midst of your shipwreck that there is a plan, but it is the plan of a God who is at work to transform everything, to make all things new to bring an end to the sea and the chaos and the tohu wabohu and to bring life flourishing and abundant that is fruitful in our world. And God 
can do it in your life as well. So at the end of our scripture library, we read like the very beginning in Genesis. And so I want to flip all the, we're going to skip all the middle stuff. It's just a bunch of names and things. Um, So you get to the end in Revelation chapter 21, and there's this beautiful vision, the outcome of God's liberative plan, restorative, redemptive plan for life and life abundant. So this is from Revelation 21. I just want you to listen to this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. See, God has exactly one plan in this world, and that's to bring heaven and everything that it is into the depths of this chaotic earth and in the chaotic sea and shipwrecks of this life once and for all. That's the plan. He continues, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, see, the home of God is among mortals. God will dwell with them as their God. They will be God's people and God's very self will be with them. And then God says, I will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more for the first things have passed away. See, I am making all things new. That is the one and only plan of our God. And in the midst of this life, when we bump up against the shipwrecks, we find God in the midst of that very work right now even, just as a sign of the hope that we have to come. And so where do we find God in the midst of that work right now? I was talking a few weeks ago with my friend Demi, and she pointed me to to the image, put back up that last verse from Revelation again, that image of wiping tears from our eyes. Can you imagine that kind of love from our God? You may have felt it amidst your shipwreck as well. Do you know how close and how present you are when God wipes away a tear? How intimate and full of love and compassion that act is. When my kids fall and stub their toe or scrape their knee or get their feelings hurt at school and they come to me with tears, you know, a four-year-old's shipwreck, and I pick them up, when I wipe their tears away, I pull them into my lap and I draw them close and I put my arms around them and I speak to them. I sing to them, and sometimes I'm just quiet, but I'm there with them. And then I reach out, and I wipe the tear. But it doesn't stop there. I stay with them until they can believe that they can get back on their bike and go out and ride again, until they have the courage to go back to school and face the kid on the playground. I am with them every step of the way. That's what it looks like when God wipes your tears. That's how near God is. That's how much love and compassion and intimacy and care God has from you. And so when it says, I will wipe the tears from their eyes, this is no small thing. And in the depths of this life, when we experience even just a glimpse of that, 
we catch a glimpse of exactly how deep and profound and everything changing our God's love is. And so know this, friends. In the midst of shipwrecks and storms, where will we find God? We will find God with us. With us. In compassion and hope and solidarity until that day when the seas and shipwrecks are no more. God is with us. With us. And that is where our hope and our life begins. So, sleep, rest, eat your cheesecake, live life. But most of all, find those arms of God and open yourself to them so that you might know the depth of the love of a God who is with us. Because you may lose your boat in this life, but you will not lose yourself and you will never lose God's love. The witness of our faith and the witness we're going to unpack over the next few weeks is just that. Where is God? Well, help is on the way, but God and God's love is already here. Let's pray together. Gracious God who loves us so much, with a love so deep, in the midst of the storms of this life, is holding on to us. God, thank you. God, we know that we can see things and learn things and grow through these shipwrecks, although we may not choose them ourselves. They, we will experience them in our lives. And we thank you that you do not let them stay void, but that you are at work to bring life, God, to bring renewal, to bring transformation, to bring healing and hope. God, to bring peace and to bring about your kind of life in the midst of these. God, you are at work in our world in ways beyond what we can imagine. Thank you for those times when we've glimpsed it and help us to believe and trust in your faithfulness. And in this life, help us to be at work with you. For our friends and neighbors in the midst of their shipwreck, help us to show up, God, not with answers, but with the way you show up, with solidarity and presence and kindness and gentleness. God, to be with our neighbors and to love as you have loved us. God, in the midst of these shipwrecks, help us to experience just how deep your love is for us. We pray this in your name.